Have you heard of Anchor? It's free and it's so easy. If I can figure it out, pretty much anyone can. Create your own podcast from your phone or any device and they will distribute it across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms on your behalf without you having to do a thing. You can also make money without any minimum listenership or any required audience. Anchor is super easy to use, and all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Start your own podcast today. You're listening to Your Highness Podcast. This is your host, Diana Crash of Good Vibes Marketing, and today we're joined by a very special guest co-host, Leah D'Ambrosio from Big Smart. Hi, Leah. How are you? Hi. Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me as a co-host. I'm so excited because you know how much I love you guys and everything you're doing for women in cannabis. Same goes for you. We love you and everything Mm, you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So now that we're back from our holiday break um, and we're constantly being surrounded by a storm of negativity, we thought it'd be a good idea to take a moment and each discuss a positive discovery in the industry, whether it be new or old, just something we want to highlight briefly. Um, would you like to start, Leah? What's your yeah, I'm really excited to share uh, what I found. Actually, it's not new. I think it came out in April, but it maybe you've heard of it. It's the oil infusion machine by Levo, mm-hmm. L-E-V-O. So amazing because I as you know, I make oils a lot, you know, just for myself, friends, whatever, um, infused oils. And this machine is going to make it so much easier for me because there's so much mess when you do it. And I'm really excited about it. And one of the great things about it, too, is the price point is so reasonable. It's only $200, and it does everything for you. Um, it infuses using controlled heat to transfer the flavor. So you can not only use cannabis, but you could use, like, lavender or other things around the house just to infuse. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to make like creams and things like that. But one of the most exciting things about this um, that goes in line with what you guys are doing is Christina Bellman is the founder and CEO. So this nice young created this and not only did she create a great product, but she created it at a price point that was reasonable for everybody. And I just really like what she's doing. And I've heard really good things about her. So I'm excited to support what she's doing and buy her product. Absolutely. I, I, I'm excited for you. I can't wait to try it myself someday. And it's a gorgeous machine. They have some really pretty designs. Uh, Isn't it? It it's looks like it would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's cool. Oh, but I should I should say where people can get this. And by the way, oh, I'm yeah. not getting any kickbacks from this. But um, it's Levo Oil. So it's L-E-V-O-O-I-L at dot com. So www.levooil.com. That's where you can get the product. Awesome. And my discovery isn't a product, but it is Estrohaze. And I have known about this uh company for a while, but I've been wanting, and I wanted to talk about it. So I am now, um, to read from the website, Estro Hayes is a multimedia company highlighting the business and lifestyles of multicultural women in the cannabis industry. It's founded by three Brown cannabis enthusiasts, Sarita Wright, Callie Wilder, and Saffon Floyd. I hope I pronounced everyone's names correctly. Estro Hayes looks to destigmatize the stifling image that has, in past, been associated with female consumers in minority communities that enjoy the many benefits of this plant. So I totally recommend checking out their website. They have so many things. Uh, they have videos, playlists, uh, music playlists. They have Bud Tender series. So if you want to check that wow, out, that's great. yeah, it's a gorgeous site. I mean, really, it's beautiful. And I think that. Every- so where are they based out of? Where is this Estro Hayes based out of? Um, hmm. That's a good question. Where are these amazing women? How can I meet them? <laughs> I know, right? That's what I've been trying to figure out. Uh, <laughs> <Right>? Well, <laughs> well this, the Esther Hayes is online, so I'm sure you can reach out yeah. to them through their website or their social media. But the website is estrohaze.com. It's E-S-T-R-O-H-A-Z-E.com. 
Uh, totally recommend checking that out. And if anyone's listening that knows how to get a hold of those founders, I would love to interview them on this uh, podcast at some point. So anyway, definitely. Yeah. Founders are doing really great work and really great work for women too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's wonderful. So without further ado, let's get on into the news. Um, there's a lot going on right now. But first, first up, we have California Pulls ad critics said promoted marijuana use. And this is, uh, this is a story from, hold on, I think it's herb.co, but I just have to make, oh no, the cannabis, I'm sorry, the cannabis reported this one. And it says that California officials on Friday pulled an ad aimed at discouraging stone driving after critics said it glorified and promoted marijuana use. The public service announcement was rolled out as California began allowing licensed stores to sell cannabis to adults on January 1st. The majority of the ad featured people talking about why they use uh, cannabis, and one man just says, he says, I just like it. Um, another woman said it helped her with her anxiety and helps her feel normal. And the ad closed with saying that DUI doesn't just mean booze, um, but it's getting a lot of pushback from officials who think that it doesn't cover all of the elements or it expresses certain elements that they wouldn't, that they don't agree with, which is uh, kind That's of hypocritical. Crazy. Yeah, it's like... I, if this was if this was actually an alcohol ad, you know, there would be no issue with people sitting around saying, "I just like it," you know. Uh, well, right. <laughs> talk about glorifying it. It's always like people having a great time drinking, and mm-hmm. you know, and they're laughing, and it's like, oh, the, the great life, and yeah, that like that doesn't glamorize drinking. Yeah, right. They're always at parties or like they're they're too cool for school, you know. Like it's oh, I don't I can't think of one ad where it's not like totally glorifying alcohol and i think this ad just is very honest and it's showing you know a nuanced approach to why so many people enjoy this plant because it helps them feel normal and it helps them in so many different ways and that should be something that's part of the conversation so definitely yeah yeah they need to that's too bad that's really too bad but you know that will change. Too. It's not surprising. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, God, not at all. I mean, a little disappointing out of California, but not surprising. No, no. So what's up in Oregon, Leah? Well, what is up in Oregon? There's so much going on. And you know how much I love my state. But there was a great article by Leafly that came out. Um, and it was Oregon politicians push back against session memos. Oregon's governor said Thursday the state will fight U.S. Attorney Jeff Sessions to 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 roll back a lenient policy on federal enforcement of the drug to protect its economic interests. Governor Kate Brown said marijuana is an important component of the state's economy, creating more than 19,000 jobs. Oregon was the first state to decriminalize personal possession in 1973. It legalized medical marijuana in 1998 and recreational use in 2014. And so she goes on to say how say how her staff and state agencies will con- will fight to continue Oregon's commitment to a safe and prosperous recreational marijuana market. And she also has uh, support from uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate Newt Bueller, who said Sessions' move was an infringement on states' rights. And uh, we also have um, support from the U.S. attorney for Oregon, who indicated that he's going to maintain the same limited level of enforcement. He says that we're going to continue to work with federal, state, local, and tribal law enforcement partners to pursue shared public safety objectives with an emphasis on stemming the overproduction of marijuana and the diversion of marijuana out of state, which is a huge problem in most states. You know, the overproduction gets funneled into the black market, which everyone wants to stop, and, and it's a good thing to stop it because it's going to help us legalize across the nation if we can stop that black market. Yeah. But we have a lot of support in Oregon. You know, we have... Um, Oregon Democratic uh, Representative Earl Blumenauer, who is always in the news, um, always being supportive. He's penned a couple bills that help support marijuana, uh, not only in Oregon, but across the nation. So we're really lucky to live in Oregon and have so much support here because we very rarely get any negative pushback from law enforcement or from government. It's all pretty pretty supportive. I mean, of course, you know, you have the OLCC who governs just opening dispensaries and licensings and things like that. So, mm-hmm. of course, there's normal um, problems, but not with 
as far as like people being busted or, um, you know, right. people trying to push the law where it doesn't need to be pushed. Good for Oregon. I'm, I'm so glad that you live I mean, in a place like that. I mean, everyone like hears like the session memo, whatever. It didn't hold any power anyway. Right. The Yeah. The coal memo. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I know. It's, it, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so next up, um, a paper found, well, I'll read the headline first. Recreational weed is killing alcohol sales in legal states, as reported by Herb.co. Uh, it says a new working paper out of the University of Connecticut and Georgia State University has found that legal cannabis negatively affects alcohol sales. You don't say. <laughs> um, the paper is based on a wide ranging analysis of nationwide data on alcohol purchases th across all retailers, including convenience stores, grocery and drug stores. From 2006 to 2015, spanning a time both before and after legalization in certain states. And basically, the researchers were trying to settle the debate on whether or not cannabis and alcohol are complementary, um, meaning that as the consumption of one increases, so does the other. So as a placebo control, researchers also looked at the sales of pens and pencils in states with media. <laughs> I know it's like I don't. Okay, I guess that. I guess that makes uh, sense. But like that's a that's a pretty big case of apples and oranges, right? It's like what? This yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. But <laughs> like, what does that have to do with anything? But anyway, so they believe the authors of the paper believe that the previous connections made. Uh, between alcohol and cannabis were based on flawed methods because they failed to examine rates at which each substance is purchased in counties across uh, the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I I mean, some counties aren't going to purchase any marijuana and some counties are going to purchase more, but I don't know. I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I'm glad they settled this debate in a sense because I am tired of hearing that, you know, where it's like, oh, if you start this, then you're going to start that. And it's also a good uh, way to argue the fact that cannabis is not a gateway drug. It's not a drug. Right. It's not a gateway. It's an exit medicine. <laughs> That's what it is. You're not, you're not going to become a stoner and an alcoholic. Right. Right. And if it's anything, like, it should help you become less of an alcoholic if you're, if that's what you're struggling with, hopefully. Um, right. And, and God forbid you should become a more balanced person with the help of cannabis and not drink at all. Yeah. And God forbid you buy more pens. <laughs> pencils. Yeah. yeah. We don't want that don't now. Those pencils. Cause you know what happens if you buy more pens and pencils. <laughs> you become an alcoholic and a daughter. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, my last story is on, uh, it comes out of Massachusetts, which is another great state. And uh, the headline is, it's, this is by the cannabis, which I love. The cannabis is one of my favorite periodicals. So Massachusetts officials say they will move forward with legal sales despite sessions shift. Regulators pledged on Thursday they would push ahead with implementation of the state's voter-approved recreational marijuana law despite a shift in official U.S. policy on enforcement of federal laws against pot. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced he was rescinding a policy from the previous administration that allowed legal marijuana to flourish without interference from federal prosecutors in states that allow it. The decision could lead to confusion in the eight states, including Massachusetts, where voters have legalized adult use and commercial sale of recreational marijuana. They have a five-member cannabis control commission that is finalizing rules for um, cannabis shops expected to begin opening in the state around the middle of this year. The commission said that regardless of the decision by Sessions, it was committed to fulfilling the will of the voters. We will continue to move forward with our process to establish and implement sensible regulations for this emergency or emerging industry in Massachusetts, the panel said in a statement. That's awesome. That's Senator Elizabeth Warren said Congress should act immediately to protect marijuana laws in Massachusetts and other states. This reckless action by the DOJ disrupts the ability of states to enforce their own drug policies and puts our public health and safety at risk, she said in a statement. And I love this because I love it when big government officials, like, you know, uh, everybody knows who Elizabeth Senator Warren is. is. Yeah. And when and when she comes up and says, look, this is criminal, this is wrong, I think that it just empowers us as an industry. And I really like hearing that. And one great thing that she's doing, too, is, She's trying to make sure that banks don't pull out of um, 
allowing cannabis businesses to do their banking with them. So right now in Oregon, we can only do banking with one credit union. Jeez. All the banks pulled out and we didn't have any banks for a while. And so it's really encouraging to hear her say that and her stand behind that. And hopefully um, she'll make some moves on that and there'll be some progress. And that would be huge for all of us, especially California. It's really worrisome that the banking industry could pull out away from some of these cannabis um, businesses in California because there's big money in California. And all that does is just encourage, encourage criminal acts. Right. There'll be more. It's theft. such a big problem. You know, Even for the ancillary businesses, you know, it's like you trying to work with the, the companies that do touch the plant. I mean, even if you don't touch it, it's hard to find um, a really legitimate banking source that will just back oh, you, you up. Yeah. You can't. No. No, because we, we, we're an ancillary product. We, we don't even, you know, Big Smart doesn't touch um, cannabis, yet we can't use regular banking systems like for our online ordering. We use um, QuickBooks because they allow it, but that's it. We mm -hmm. can't use a normal bank for our transactions. And it really puts you at a disadvantage. It really does. Um, you know, you can, it really does. So it just makes it a lot harder to do business and especially when you're trying to change the world you know for the better right and that's a perfect segue into our blunt talk topic which is the importance of marking edibles and responsible use right now um right now well the, the national conversation is so focused on this industry and there's so much critique and uh a lot of shifting opinions and moving parts uh, one of the only things that we can do, those of us who are in it for the right reasons, meaning that we want to better other people's lives and better our own lives with this plant, uh, one thing we can do is 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 try to mark our edibles and do it in a responsible way and also promote responsible use in any way that we can. And Leah's company, Bakesmart, makes edible safety designs that directly apply to infused products and they're safe for consumption. But more importantly, she has a focus on the green cross symbol. And you can go ahead and tell us a little bit about that, Leah. Yeah, um, when I started my edible company, Scones, I was looking for a way to mark my coffee so that you could clearly identify it as being infused. Could happen if someone could come in and eat my coffee and then, you know, find out later, oh, God, it had cannabis in it. And, and that could be a really bad situation. So uh, we put green crosses on the bottom of our coffee and it's gone over really well. It doesn't change the taste or texture. And the reason we chose the green cross was because it's already being used in the industry. You know, it's used to, um, you know, for dispensaries, you'll see green crosses outside the doors or on the buildings. And then it's an international symbol for medicine, which is great. Mm -hmm. And it's an easy symbol for children to identify. So mm -hmm. if you have to have that conversation with someone, hey, mommy's got this candy. If you ever see a piece of candy or a piece of food with a green cross on it, you know not to eat it because it's medicine. It'll make you very, very sick if you eat it. And also if you have pets in the house. It's great to let the whole family know, hey, look, any food with Green Cross, there's medicine in it, and our animals will get really, really sick if they're exposed to that. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get the whole family involved, and I think it's a really great teaching tool, and it's an obvious teaching tool, whereas, like, I love that Colorado came out with a law to mark all edibles, but they kind of missed the mark because of Smart Colorado was pressing for a stop sign and it came to an agreement that they would use a diamond with THC. To a children, to a child, that doesn't mean anything. It right. could be the name of a candy bar. It could be anything. And I, I think that that kind of misses the mark, but I'm hoping that as we go forward and as people realize, you know, how easy it is to avoid accidental consumption and avoid all these accidents that are in the news. Right. Just by placing something obvious on your food. I mean, you know, that's yeah. the way we can help. It. And aside from, I mean, safety is such a huge part of this, but also, I mean, those edible producers out there are limited now because places like Colorado won't allow anything that's, that are shaped like humans, animals, fruits, cartoons, um, anything that you know they think could be attractive to children but that that makes it difficult for edible producers to stand out in a very large crowd and other than that they also have these um very um 
I don't know what the word I'm trying to look for is, but the childproof packaging that has so much plastic oh, around right. it. And it's, ex- yeah, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive for the producer. And it's, it's uh, restrictive for the person who's trying to keep anyone else from consuming because once it becomes out, it's once it's out of that package, you know, it can still get in the hands of someone. Yeah. And so it's like, right. it, it to have something that is universal and something that you can just easily apply to whatever is, is something that we should all kind of agree on because right now we're in a unique position where under this, we're under this umbrella of the industry, there are so many different groups that in any other situation would never, ever agree on anything. And the one thing that we all seem to agree on is that this plant should be accessible to those who need it. But um, how it's being, (laughs) how it's being executed, you know, that's another story altogether. But if, if we can take the responsibility into our own hands and um, try to just, be as responsible as we can, you know, that's, that's a huge, huge deal right now, I think, because. Yeah. I, it's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah. If we band together and say, yeah, we want to protect the consumer. We, we care about what happens to our consumers. And I think that that's the biggest message. And I think that you touched on a really hot topic is the banning of some of these candies and gummies. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, right now it's the gummies. Tomorrow it'll be cookies. The right. next time it'll be brownies. And pretty soon, I mean, kids eat food. Hello. Right. So they're going to be attracted to anything. And cookies and brownies are something they're very much attracted to, just as much as the candy. Right. So where do we stop the nonsense? Right. Because there's so many we small can't. batch edible producers right now that I've seen on Instagram that they make gorgeous baked goods. And I mean, I, oh, yeah. I'm not even really into baked goods, but I'm like, all right, I want to try that, 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 and that, you know, right? <laughs> and, and I, and I, and I want these people to thrive in their business. And also the people that need the medicine, they should have access to that. And so I think that one step in, in trying to destigmatize is to make sure that we're at the at the forefront of everything that we're making a, putting a focus on responsible use and so um i think that it's it isn't that difficult to do you know i think it's it's something that no, everyone really can not. because if you can't get a hold of uh something like baked smart that's something that baked smart offers which i think is pretty accessible they can find it on your website right leah Bigsmart.org. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also there's, there's printers, there's wafer paper, mm-hmm. there's there's edible ink, you know, you can do ink pens. There's so many ways to mark edibles with a green cross. It's not just our company. We're just the first one that's out trying to, you know, persuade people to do this. But there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think that we all just need to agree on marking edibles and making it really obvious with the green cross. Yeah, because that is something that I think is super universal um, because like some people don't even know what THC is or what it stands exactly. for. And, exactly. And, and, and an exclamation point, that doesn't really mean anything. I mean, as a child, you might think that's exciting, you know, an exclamation yeah, point. Yeah, right. It means eat me. Yay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the green cross, the cross goes back to like the old, uh, you know, medical, symbols that I carry and everything right right yeah and so um yeah I think this is is something that we all really need to focus on and instead of focusing on um like how are we going to create these edibles so much we need to figure out the first step and and that should be that we all agree on on a symbol that everyone can understand and like Leah said easily recognize right right and and I think that's a pretty, um, I don't know. I think that's, that's not asking too much to, <laughs> but you know, with all these different States trying to roll out in different ways, it is difficult to, to get them all on it the really same is. page. And so it, it is kind of asking too much in a way because each state has their own set of, uh, rules and regulations, but as uh, personal consumers, we can try on our own to start this um, 
Right. Oh, we all have to have a voice. I mean, I've heard too many times. It's like, oh, well, it's too late. They've already decided. Or just, mm-hmm. You know what? It's never too late. Right. Get out there. Write to your government. Talk about it at your dispensaries. Tell people, I want a green cross on my food. I'm mm-hmm. tired of trying to keep it out of the reach of my kids. I'm scared that I'll leave, that I'll drop a gummy or whatever it is on the floor and they'll find it. I mean, we've, we've got to have these edibles marked and done in a clear way. Yeah, because that is probably one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest ways that the stigma continues on because, you know, we see stories um, almost on a daily basis. And I'm not saying that they're all based in truth or that they're very well reported, but people sometimes just look at headlines and and that's all that they need. So they see something like, you know, kindergartners accidentally got a hold of this edible or, you know, like you said something off uh, we weren't recording about the quinceanera. um, Oh yeah. The quinceanera in um, San Francisco, yeah, it's, they had, I think there were 18 people that were sick, and they were all kids. They were all between the ages of, like, 6 and 18, and um, and they all got really sick by eating, uh, they were gummy peachy rings. Had they been marked with a green cross, an adult, I mean, I don't know that all of them would have been saved, but at least an adult could have at least said, hey, wait a minute, why are there green crosses on this? It would have brought notice. But instead, all these kids got sick. It was really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was really sad for the you know, fact they're having this really great event, and then that happens, and it puts a mar on it. So, so yeah. definitely, it's, it's a problem, and mm-hmm. it's a problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, because if you'd never had it before, and you have a high-dose edible by accident, then that can completely change your perspective on the plant forever you know it doesn't well, matter right and that's what we yeah we want to avoid that at all costs because we know what a great planet is what an amazing planet is and how it helps people in so many different ways so why do we why do we want people to have bad experiences with it why do we want to perpetuate the stigma that we're carrying through from the 70s absolutely cool. well thank you so much for being with us today um until next time Everybody stay high and beautiful. And by that, I mean, take the high road when necessary or when when you can and stay beautiful in spirit. Thank you again, Leah, for joining us. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you and everything you do. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate you. And thank you so much for giving a platform for women and for supporting women and for highlighting all the wonderful things that women are doing in this industry. You guys are doing a great job and I really appreciate it. And I'm really honored to be on your show. Thanks so much. Thank you. Our first guest is Loretta Maps-Bolt, founder and chief innovative officer of Canatunes. With a background in biodynamic farming, environmental education, and Reiki healing, Maps-Bolt creates realistic pathways for humanity to manifest deeper connections with the earth. With soundscapes, musical profiles, and installations, plant vigor is made evident through multimedia experiences to connect with plant consciousness. So Loretta... What inspired the creation of Canatunes, and can you explain what it is? Sure. So Canatunes is basically my work in taking the electrical resistance or variance of cannabis plants and harnessing the frequencies to basically allow people to have more intimate connections with cannabis. So this idea a series of experiences going to school for environmental law and dabbling in biodynamic farming and then eventually cannabis growing and caretaking. And I just really like this idea of people (laughs) making music with cannabis because I was already in a community of growers who had uh, really intimate connections with their plants and talking to me about the different personalities of the strains and everything that they required and how great it was to give that to their patients and share those stories. And I really like being able to do that through music. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. I think it's really interesting. Um, So can you explain biosonic alchemy? Sure. It's a term I sort of came up with to describe what I do because I didn't really know very many people who were making music with plants at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I, and also cannabis plants specifically. So um, I had been studying uh, Hans Yeni, who had created the term cymatics, which is the Greek word for wave. 
And I had also been studying um, when I was going to school for environmental law, a, a lot of research into plant sentience. So I had been studying Cleve, Cleve Baxter's work and Jeremy Narby, who wrote uh, The Cosmic Serpent, and then also a book called Secrets of the Soil by Christopher Bird. And I just want to say a quote by Jeremy Narby, which I think really sums it up. Mm-hmm. The quote is, the way the shamans describe it, the spirits of nature or the essences are themselves melodies. When they perceive these different entities, if you pay careful attention, they vibrate out a melody. And the work of the shaman is to pick up the melody of each given species. And that's by Jeremy Narby. So I really like this idea of, uh, idea of being a techno-shaman in the way of using technology to create closer connections with the environment and the biological world because I think it has so much to offer and I really like this idea of using the frequencies from biological entities to see if we can use them for healing. So there's a woman in Denver called Teresa Hegelson who has done some pilot studies on blood before and after plant music sessions. So she's shown um, that red, red blood cells uh, are declumping after plant music sessions, wow. and if the the red blood cells, it's called it's a condition called rouleau. I believe it's French, but when the red cells are basically what's happening is that the body is not getting enough oxygen and vitamins and nutrients, and so after just one session of plant music, the red blood cells were uh, singular and separated, and I thought that was incredibly powerful, and I really like this idea of seeing what the use of cannabis music could have on the effect of the body. So just following her work and hopefully getting some pilot studies of my own, I really like exploring this idea of working with farmers and growers and also breeders to see what we can come up with, because if we can pop on some headphones for some specific strains and receive healing that way, that is a drug delivery system that I don't think people have really entered into yet. Yeah, that's amazing. So in what ways can a person find a deeper connection with plants through soundscapes and musical profiles? I mean, you already kind of answered that, but... <laughs> well, I, I can talk more about it. Because yeah. Really, I, I really like the idea, too, that eventually everyone will be able to have um, the technology that I use so that they can have this intimate connection with the plants because just to just to talk about the plant music in itself when I'm making music with the plants I sort of have to work with them the same way two musicians would work with each other to do a jam session so Mm -hmm. if I'm a musician and you're a musician we'll eventually learn each other's styles and then work from there and that's the kind of work that I have to do with the plants because at first they're a little like wait what's going on what are you they're like oh I get what you're trying to do Let's create this. And so it becomes this interspecies collaboration. And the plants uh, create better music, the better that they're cared for, the happier and healthier that they are. And when they're not doing so well, the plants make music non-existent. So I like the idea, too, of being able to see whether or not your plant's doing well just by listening to the music of it. Mm-hmm. That is really interesting. Um, what is your process when creating music? So I use a technology that takes the electrical resistance from plants and tests the uh, variations of the electri- electricity in plants. Now, as mammals, we have brains, and that's what creates our thoughts and allows us to send messages. But with plants, the electrical response in in the plants is basically their brains and that's how they send out pheromones and talk to each other and basically live within the environment. So what I'm doing is I'm attaching two nodes to the plants and then I'm translating that data into musical notes. And then using a variation of synthesizers, I'm basically creating soundscapes from the landscape. And I just entered into um, creating nature walks, basically, because I also run um, a separate version that's not just cannabis, but it's called Biotunes, and Mm -hmm. what I do is I make GPS-triggered nature walks um, with 
forests and farms and landscapes and basically wherever I can get to. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's like a it's like a, a true multimedia experience then like when you're going through these walks, right? Exactly. And I want it to be immersed. So if you've been to the, a certain part of the woods a thousand times, you've never been like this. Right. And if I've made music with 10 trees on a trail, that music will automatically play once you approach each individual tree. Wow. That is so cool. Um, how do you collaborate with farms and horticulturists and developers, people like that? Well, what really inspires me is talking to the stewards of the land or the people that are in charge with it, to talk to them about what their relationship is with the land and figuring out what motivates them to show up every day. Because that really, I think, is shown in what's growing there as well, that personality uh, connects with the plants. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I try to basically find out what the personality of the land is with the person who's taking care of it and then creating soundscapes that really resonate with the people who are there because I've had situations where they, I'm making music on, on a farm or a garden and they're like, you know, I'm not surprised it sounds like that because that's the kind of feeling I have when I'm here. Um, So I really like the idea of working with more growers, especially in Canada, to create these soundscapes that really reflect the personality and characteristic of their space. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really awesome. I mean, I can't even imagine like having that connection, you know, making it even deeper in that way. Um, Absolutely. That's that's why I like, I pretty much sold everything I owned in California and I like went into this venture because wow. I was like, nobody's doing this. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, eventually somebody will do it. And then nobody was doing it. I was like, I have to do this. this that is, is, this is amazing. It really is. It's so amazing. Um, what is your favorite aspect of working with cannabis? Well, besides just being around it, honestly, like the plant itself when it's growing in the sun and it's just like saying hello to you. I I really love this um, sharing aspect within the community. And I know that it can be intimidating to a lot of people who are entering into cannabis for the first time, but the community is so compassionate and also is taking huge strides to be as treatment specific as possible, which is more than I can say for traditional Western medicine. And I I really love what has come about from that and the expansion of the perspective of how you can create self-care in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have anything specific to promote or any calls to action? Well, I will say that I am super excited about the recreational for California, mostly for all of the people of color who can get their uh, their legal situations in order mm-hmm. um, that ch- that have been long overdue. And um, in relation to that, I wanted to give a shout out to the Hood Incubator in Oakland, California, who's been really great. I've just been following their work, and I love what they're doing out there to help people get into the industry who might have felt intimidated at first about doing it. And then I also um, have just become the organizer for Elementa uh, for the D.C. chapter, and Elementa is the fastest women's, women's, women's network focused on health, wellness, and cannabis. Mm-hmm. And I just love what they've been doing for the past year, and I'm very excited to be part of the team. Awesome. Um, do you have any events or anything that are coming up on your end in relation well, to that? I, or? I uh, am working on launching the first day of the Elementa chapter in late February, early March. And uh, we're excited to have everyone in the D.C. area who's interested in finding out more information about self-care and using cannabis in a holistic way. And integrating that into their lives. Okay, awesome. And where can people find your music? They can find it on my website, which is canatunes.wixsite backslash my site. Mm-hmm. And they can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at canatunes, C 
T-A-N-N-A-T-U-N-E-S. And if you want to email me about making music with your cannabis plants, if you're a grower, please hit me up at cannatunes at gmail.com. I would love to work with you. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today, Loretta. I really appreciate it. It's very Thank informative. Thank you so much for having me. And I really love the work you do as well. Thank you. Our next guest today is Kania Taylor, Marketing Director of Canismac. Canismac manufactures all-natural, cruelty-free, hemp-infused lip balms and lotions and a line of SPF products made entirely in the U.S. using domestic hemp sourced from Oregon. Canismac's products are both 100% legal under federal, state, and local laws, and their products are 100% non-psychoactive. Kania, what inspired the creation of Canismac? Well, I would have to say a lot of things, but if anything catapulted it into creation, it was Suzanne's brother passing to prescription drug overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, and Suzanne is the owner and founder of Canasmack and my business partner. Which Canasmack product is your favorite? Oh, okay. So I know that this is going to sound really biased because I'm directly involved, but I really <laughs> like them all. Um, if I had to pick one thing or a or a few things at this moment. I'd say that I'm a little bit obsessed right now with the Wild Orange Crush Vegan Lip Balm that we just came out with. Mm-hmm. And I can't live without my skincare. It's just that good. <laughs> <laughs> How have you applied your experience from other industries to a career in cannabis? Well, I was very fortunate to have worked very closely with the organic industry during its infancy, back when organic was viewed as a hippie thing and something that only like health of best paranoid housewives cared about, you know? Um, But in all honesty, I think it helped me understand what it's like to work in a new market sector, the struggles and misconceptions that may come with it and how how important it is to educate our consumers. Um, I think that this all translates very well into the cannabis industry, and I couldn't be happier. Did you do marketing in the other when you were working with the organic industry to begin with? Yes. Um, well, I started out as an in-house designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, my background is in graphic, graphic and website or graphic design and website development. And then from there, I pursued marketing because I thought it would really help my career. Um, so, yes, it started out like that, but then eventually the company that I was working with um, found themselves in need of a marketing person, and nobody understood what we needed at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they had very unique views of how things needed to be done, and they were a little bit, I think, antiquated for the target market. So that helped me get, you know, that, that kind of helped me to get that experience. Um, went to school for it, you know, learned uh, quite a few things. Um, and then it also gave me experience in, in dealing with, like I said, a new market sector nice. um, that has, at the time, that particular industry had a lot of challenges mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, you know, it was considered a lot of like, I remember quite a bit being called like crackpots uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, you know, how we were exaggerating and how things were just, oh, they're just trying to make more money, uh-huh. you know, selling the same stuff and not really understanding what that whole movement was about. And I see the exact same thing being translated to the cannabis industry now, uh-huh. um, that we have a little bit more of a challenge because, you know, we have to deal with the misconceptions and the demonization of the plant that has gone on for um, and all this the negative stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a little bit more challenging, obviously. Um, but I think the experience that I gained in the past has helped us. That's awesome. I mean, the misconceptions aren't awesome, but it's awesome that you're taking it and moving forward and trying to do something really good in this industry. Um, what is Thank it? You. What is it like to be part of a woman-owned and operated business in this industry? Oh my gosh, um, it's awesome in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I think that it's very rewarding to work closely with so many different women who are strong and independent and definitely have their own voice. Um, We learned a lot from each other and there's something really rewarding about building each other up, Mm -hmm. you know, without, without feeling like it's going to be competition or it's going to, you know, tearing each other down, which I think is something that um, at some point it's just human nature, Mm -hmm. you know, for many to, to feel 
um, either jealousy or maybe even just insecurity. And that's something that we have been very grateful um, that we haven't come across of very much, you know, yeah. but it does come with, it doesn't come without its challenges. Right. Um, I think women own business in general struggle quite a bit more simply because of misconceptions and outdated notions that women can't run business as well as men can. Um, and especially when you deal with other, other, I, I want to see not so much anymore. I, I want to say that I do see a prog, you know, progress, mm-hmm. but we when we deal with men in particular, you know, that um, we're treated a little bit different than the boys until we prove them wrong or prove to them that, that we need to be treated as, you know, we're, we're equally as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the part that's the most frustrating. It's like, why do I still have to prove myself? Right. Um, but, right? It's like, why? Yeah. In today's evening, like, why do we still have to prove that we know what we're talking about? You know, so but, frustrating. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I think that it's also very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also one of the reasons why we decided to be completely self-funded. Um, we really don't want anyone telling us what to do or how to run our business and what and who to support. Um, so while it is a challenge, we really welcome it and we hope we can make Hannah's Max succeed without compromising our core values and our ethics. That's awesome. So can you explain to me what the Free the Leaf campaign is about? Sure. Um, our Free the Leaf campaign is really all about educating consumers about cannabis, um, hemp and medicinal. We know that, you, you know, you and I probably know that, um, you know, cannabis is hemp. It doesn't need to have THC in it. It doesn't right. need to get you high. Mm-mm. It's part of the same, you know, genome. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's various variations. But I think that a lot of people have a misconception about that. Um, even people who who know who are pro-cannabis don't understand it. That's one of the biggest questions we get is, can your products get me high? Um, no. <laughs> <can't>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, are they, know, like, eating the lip balm? <laughs> yeah. No, like, you would be surprised. That is honestly our number one question is, mm. can your lip balm get me high? Wow. And we always say, no, Canismec is non-medicated. Yeah. Um, THC free, TV, you know, we don't advertise CBD or anything of the sort. It's made from the hemp seed oil. So um, it has lots of great omegas and vitamins and minerals, and it's great for your skin, but you're not going to get, you know, an imitation out of it. Right. Um, it, it's just, it's, I think that's one of the reasons why we started it, along with the fact that we've just, we've just encountered so many struggles with, you know, media and advertising. Mm-hmm. Um so that's what it's, it's basically an effort, our effort to break down misconceptions and stereotypes and educate people a little bit. <laughs> that's good. I love it. Um, is there any advice that you have for women who want to start a career in cannabis? Um, be strong and fearless. Mm-hmm. It is a very challenging industry and you may experience backlash from places you never thought you would. But it is something that if you truly want to do, you have to go all in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think determination in this industry is key. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have anything specific to promote? Um, yeah. Uh, we would love to talk to you about our Canismec Lux skincare line. Uh, it's creating a really big bust in our community because it really does work. Um, Suzanne is actually a mass, licensed master statistician with over 15 years of experience. Wow. So we use every drop of knowledge she has yeah. <laughs> to create this amazing land line made of the best ingredients. We didn't include any fillers. Um, you know, we made sure that everything was clean and as good as it gets uh, because ultimately, uh, we, you know, we've said this before, but if we're if we don't use it, like if Suzanne and I, our families are not gonna use it, then we're not gonna sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that it works. We created it for us and are really excited to share it with the world. <laughs> awesome. Can't wait to try it. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I really thank appreciate you it. Thank you for having me. Our final guest today is Stephanie Kearns. Stephanie Kearns is a cannabis advocate, patient, and enthusiast. 
Kearns is a pioneer in the cannabis industry, living in Portland, with experience growing, bud tending, marketing, product development, and consulting. Kearns currently works with Sativa Science Club and is a full-time mother and artist that goes by the name Vibrant Deity. Uh, Stephanie, so what is the Sativa Science Club? The Sativa Science Club is a very exciting movement happening in Portland, um, and it's a thoughtful, all-inclusive, um, specific educational program that includes peer-reviewed curriculum, so it's really easy to apply it to what you're doing, and it fits the needs of any industry member. That's also the coolest part. So if you're a first-time user and you just want to know more everything about cannabis, that they have programs for that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another program. Let's say your life's dream is develop a topical line, but you have no idea how to do it. There's a whole uh, program for that that will teach you how, and um, they'll, they'll set you up with somebody to help you through the whole program. And then at the end, you'll be introduced to other topical lines to kind of like help get you into the industry. And then the third thing that they offer is for bud tenders. It's like a bud tender boot camp to learn everything uh, cannabis to really help the industry raise that bar. So we're all teaching the same consistent knowledge. And um, it also has a whole compliance piece. So it's really good for dispensary owners. Um, any, It's an educational program that will help anyone in the industry, even a first-time user. Isn't that amazing? It is. And so you kind of already answered my question about who can benefit from the courses offered, but if you want to expand on that a little bit more, go right ahead. Sure. Yeah, I can definitely expand on who can benefit because here's here's the thing. Um, When I worked in dispensaries for years, more and more and more, most of the people that were coming in shopping were from out of town. Mm -hmm. And so they go back to Europe or other parts of the States or literally wherever. And if they have the wrong information, they tell their entire family members the wrong things. And so it just sort of perpetuates misinformation in the industry about cannabis. However, if Sativa Science Club raises this bar, if everybody in Portland gets you know, this kind of training and there's sort of consistency, then Portland as a whole can really change the industry and, and the ripples can go out really far, you know, all all the way out into the world, basically. Right. So it's, they offer online it's courses, awesome. right? I mean, they are, for people yeah. that aren't in Portland. So there's, there's more reach there, right? Absolutely. So, yes, you can do – there's online – and then there's, uh, you know, on-the-ground training. And the online is absolutely just as good. You're still assigned somebody that will help you through the entire program, you know, kind of like a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still have all the peer-reviewed curriculum. So it's just not being face-to-face. And that's also good. You know, hey, maybe you want to do school in bed in your pajamas. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that either. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and what type of mentorship specifically are offered? Well, there's an annual membership, um, and then there's, you know, always the option of taking, like, specific classes throughout the curriculum. If you sign up for the annual membership, you will be assigned a mentor upon enrollment, and that you will have that same mentor together through the entire class. You will select a cohort. So you will basically say, like, you know, this is my goal in the industry. Mm -hmm. And then then you'll map out your goals. And then at the end of the whole educational program, you'll plan your capstone, which is meaning you'll go out into the community and you'll actually apply what you're trying to do and you'll have help doing it. So you'll have that hands-on experience. That's awesome. It's just amazing. And the two women that are behind this are absolutely brilliant. Uh, Mary Poppins and Emma Chasen, mm-hmm. and they are fierce and knowledgeable, and they are good with people, and they are passionate about this industry for the right reasons, awesome. and so it's, it's just awesome to um, see this happening and to be part of it. It seems like it's a lot different than a lot of the other um, educational offerings I've seen available, you know, universities and such, I think. 
This seems I would a have lot to more. agree with you. Mm-hmm. Seems I like agree with you because there's that personal connection that right. they offer. Yeah, and the mentorship part is pretty awesome, I think. That's that's incredible, and it's definitely needed right now. I agree. And then the other cool thing they do is um, if you enroll in the annual membership, you also get to go to all the different events that are happening in Portland. Mm-hmm. And it's like you automatically have the tickets to those things. So you don't have to pay have the $25 here or the 40 bucks there to go to all those things. That's already included in your Sativa Science Club membership. So it comes with all these amazing benefits. You get to meet these amazing women that come from backgrounds of oncology and community outreach, and you get to have knowledge and show the whole world what cannabis can do, which is, you know, that's rad. Yeah. And so where can people check out the offerings that they have? Okay. So the website is sativasciencelub.com and right now if you go to the website at the very very top there's a little black banner that says if you RSVP right now you'll actually save 50% on the whole program uh, Uh if you do it before January 1st that's awesome so there isn't much time but if you can get on there and look at it and fall in love with the program like all of the other people have and and take a look at it um it's only 150 dollars to reserve your seat so you don't have to have all of the money up front it's just 150 dollars down basically nice so that's it's accessible to, to bud tenders and people to everyone who is interested in doing it that's very cool i like that they have that option um i do too yeah so moving into something more personal you have some interesting things developing in your personal life. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about how, as a medical cannabis patient, you manage your pain other than using, you know, the plant itself or how the plant inspires you to manage your pain in other ways? I would love to talk about that. That's like one of those questions like, yes, let me me tell you what works for me. Maybe it'll help somebody else. Absolutely. So there's there's two main categories that help me with pain. Um, what I put into my body, Mm -hmm. so food, herbs, and essential oils, and I'm obviously really passionate about that in cannabis. And then the second piece, and probably an even more important piece, is what I can create with my body. So when I'm frustrated, when I'm in a lot of pain, when I feel like I can't do the things I want to do, the one thing that I can always do is paint and create and dance and sing. So I can turn my body into something positive, even when it's feeling really, really negative. Mm -hmm. And that sort of takes the power away from the pain. Because when you're in chronic pain all the time, it sort of wears on you. It wears on your one out there, you know, that feels that way. You're not alone. Right. Um, And so for me, um, I... I paint, and I have been spending a great deal of time the last couple of weeks. I've I've painted 18 new paintings. Wow! Um, and it's been a really good way for me to cope with the stress of the holidays. The you know honestly the the stress of the industry and how the changes are constantly just fierce, mm-hmm. and the stress of my body. And I've started. Um, just kind of running with my passion and it's been feeling really good and it's been helping my pain. Um, and I've had more energy. So, nice. Yeah. So that's really good. And, and I'm grateful to have that outlet. And it's, you're incredibly talented and the artwork oh, is gorgeous. And so would you like to tell people where they can find it? I would love to. And by the way, even if you just end up looking at my art, um, you know, it's something that I'm, something that you see I am so happy that you took the time to look at it and Mm -hmm. if you buy something even even more amazing (laughs) um I've started (laughs) I've started an Etsy shop it's called vibrant deity um vibrant like like colors are vibrant and then deity like a goddess Mm -hmm. and um I love that name so that's my thank you that's my Etsy shop and that's just because I really 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 like bright 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 colors so I layer the paint over and over and over again and I really use high pigment paint so my paintings really really pop off the wall and it's kind of hard to convey that in pictures but in person they are just like what's up yeah (laughs) (laughs) if that makes any kind of sense 
Yes, absolutely it does. And I totally recommend everyone checking out what you have there for offerings because they're amazing. And you're amazing. And I appreciate you taking your time with us today. Well, I think you are amazing and I appreciate (laughs) your time. Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you and everyone listening. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Your Highness Podcast, brought to you by Cannabis Women's Alliance and Good Vibes Marketing Agency. The Cannabis Women's Alliance was founded to bring community, guidance, and inspiration to women working in the cannabis industry. Good Vibes Marketing Agency is a digital marketing agency that creates organic content for organic solutions. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us at yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, you can email us at yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com.